Tonight, uh, I'm also abandoning you again. Uh, but for good reason, we will resume First Kings next week. Uh, we have a special guest from Far Reaching Ministries. Now, uh, I want to read this psalm from Asaph, Psalm 83.1. Do not keep silent, O God, and do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. And sometimes as we see the world uh, and the evil being emboldened in this world, we, we, we sometimes are prone to think that God isn't hearing our prayers or listening to us. And uh, we were all praying for Afghanistan a month ago. And uh, we were supposed to actually have Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries come uh, in September, but I called him to reschedule that. And he said, no, that's great. I'm on my way overseas to Afghanistan. We've got a rescue plan, and we're going to get some missionaries and Christians out of Afghanistan. And uh, their ministries are, are massive. Uh, in fact, Sean, who's going to be speaking tonight, he was telling me that every all the time he's finding out another ministry that Far Reaching Ministries does. Uh, I was on a road in Uganda. We had a little car accident. Uh, and it was way up in the north, this little road. And uh, the first car that came along was Pastor Tobias from Far Reaching Ministries. And he happened to know uh, Brother Rafat from Spoken Word. But he was the first car. And I was like, wow, it's amazing that I'm meeting you out here. Because two weeks ago, I had lunch with, your, uh, with Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries. So they're all over the place. And, and the reason I read that psalm is that God hears the prayers and he rescues. Don't, I want you to be encouraged by that. And so this evening, uh, Wes Bentley was here this morning, and you can go online and watch the live stream from that. Uh, but we're really blessed to have Sean Stone. Uh, come on up, Sean, from Far Reaching Ministries. And Sean, you are the director of the Refugees title is Victims of War, our widows and orphans that we help uh, take care of and oversee and walk with and disciple, yeah. Yeah, so how cool of a job yeah. is that? Uh, now, I, I, yeah, I, I told him I'm sure that that is both heartbreaking and joyful at the yeah. same time. So we're excited to have you, and I'll tell you, uh, we have Ed and Dave also here from Far Reaching Ministries. These, these men are just awesome giants of the faith. So make sure you get a chance to talk to them after the service. I'll give the rest over to you. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Perfect. Well, real quick, you know, it's funny you're mentioning that connection uh, that you made there in northern Uganda. I've learned, you know, we always say like, oh, it's a small world. No, I've realized it's a big family. God has a big family. And the more times I connect with people, somebody told me that years ago, and I just love it. So you guys can use that. Anyway, uh, so blessed to be with you guys tonight. Um, like Pastor Dave said, my name is Sean Stone. I'm a director of our Victims of War, which is the part of our ministry that takes care of our widows and, uh, and orphans. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And as Dave mentioned, Pastor Wes was with you guys, your church, this morning. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, he and our, another colleague of mine, Edward, had to get on a plane. In fact, they are wheels up now on their way to Russia to go see some of the widows that we take care of and some of the churches that we're building there. Um, and so he wasn't able to be there tonight, but I get the privilege of sharing the word with you tonight. And, uh, and, and what an awesome church you guys have. I mean, seriously, I, I was telling Dave at lunch, you know, uh, one of the things that we get to do is visit different churches, which I love. I love the body of Christ. Um, and, and you see different churches and seasons, and I want to be kind the way I say it. And some churches you come to, and they're in their seasons, it's like, okay, they're kind of coming to the end of their, it seems like, life cycle. You, you, maybe we've been to a part of a church like that. It seems like, wow, this is a church. I was here this morning. There was like kids running around. The worship was like, I was saying like, man, God is on the move here. And I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm being serious. You should be encouraged. God is doing something here, and I don't say it just to say it. I truly believe that uh, your best days are in front of you, that God has something great for this church. And so, so blessed to be here with you guys tonight. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to share a little bit about the ministry, and then I will give you an update, because I know like many of you want to know about Afghanistan, how you can pray, what's going on, how you can be involved, um, because there are... As tragic as things are, there's some really encouraging things too. Philippians chapter 2, I think on the screen there'll be, uh, beginning in verse 5, I'm just going to read in verse 4 and read through verse 11. And I'm reading out of the ESV, just so you know. 
Paul writes this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you so much. We know you're here, Jesus. Two or more, we are gathered in your name. And Holy Spirit, we just pray you would make much of your son tonight. You would take your word, you would speak to our hearts, you would exhort us, you would encourage us, you would move us, ultimately you would change us. Lord, we just love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I sit in a room like this tonight, I, I, I've realized from my own life, I've realized just from years of experience that some of you are, you're doing awesome. Some of you, your, your life is amazing, and yet some of you, you look like you're fine on the outside and inside it's hell. Some of you might be on a mountaintop, and some of you might be in the midst of the worst valley of your life, and some of you might be getting ready to go into that, and some of you might be coming out of that. Some of you have overcome that, and you know what I want to say to remind all of us of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I bring that up because we watch the news, and there's so much that comes at us that seems hopeless, that seems tragic, that seems like, how, are, how is it ever going to get better? I want to say tonight, no, God is on the move. As much as the news is telling us things, and, and yes, there are things that rip our hearts out. And I also want to make this personal. There are things that are ripping your heart out, not just as you see out there, but perhaps things in your own life. I want to say with everything in me, Romans 8.28 is still true. God works all things together for good. We may not understand, we may not understand why or what's going on, but I want to say in your own life, God works all things for good. And tonight I want to share a little bit about some of that good in the midst of some really bad things that God is doing. And for some of you, I I want to be honest, some of you, you're comfortable. And my prayer tonight is I want to exhort you, I maybe maybe afflict you, maybe even annoy you a little bit, and that's okay, and that'll be the Holy Spirit to kind of get you moving. And some of you are afflicted, and I pray that the Holy Spirit brings you comfort. That's one of his titles that Jesus gives. He's the counselor. He's the comforter. And so I pray in the midst of all this, as we talk about some of these things, that you find tremendous comfort. Here's what I know. Like I said, Romans 28, there's always good that God has planned for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has not just eternal life, but when we talk about eternal life, eternal life is a quality of life that so few people I find actually get to experience. A lot of people think eternal life begins, you know, when we check out from this and we enter heaven. No, eternal life should begin. It actually begins the moment we put our faith. It's also called the abundant life. It's a quality of life. It's an overcoming life. It's the resurrected life. It's the life that God wants for each and every one of you. And sadly, what I've discovered is a lot of people actually never experience that life because they're unwilling or they're ignorant about the way that we actually attain that, the way we actually experience that. Because the Bible tells us over and over again, and hear me when I say this, that the path to life is found on the other side of death. And I'm going to explain what that means, even as I read here in Philippians 2. It's, it, the path to, to life, that abundant life, comes on the other side of of death, death to self, death to the way we think things should be, that emptying of self. We see it here in Philippians 2 in Jesus. Well, it's supposed to be true of our life. And what I want to say is there's a life, that resurrected life, but it's on the other side of a path that a lot of us are unwilling to actually take. And a lot of Christians, oh, they're saved. Some of you are saved. You've got your fire insurance, but God says, I have so much more for you. But you need to say yes. You need to embrace the path that I've laid out, there's a life, the resurrected life that's available if you would say yes. So tonight I want to talk a little bit about FRM, what we're doing. I want to talk about our history, but I'm going to tie that into Philippians 2. And I'm going to talk about this path and what does that mean for us? And ultimately, like I said, Afghanistan, and then really exhort you, what does that mean? What's my takeaway? What is God saying to me? What is he saying to you tonight? Where do I go? Far-reaching ministry began almost three decades ago, and it began... Not intentionally. And what I mean by that is 
Wes, who shared this morning, had a heart for Russia. He, along with Ed, actually had a, they were in Russia sharing the gospel. That was their passion. That was his first love, is to bring the gospel to Russia. But somewhere along the way, because Wes, as he tells the story, and you can hear it this morning, he was a former Marine, a really angry man who God got a hold of and changed his life. But because of the skills that he learned in the service, he was asked to go do a reconnaissance-type mission in southern Sudan for another missions organization. You see, southern Sudan is a history of violence for decades past. At one point, it was under British rule. I don't know if you know much about the country, but under British rule, it suffered a lot of violence, and then finally it gained its independence, and shortly after that, it, it entered into a long, protracted, and violent and bloody civil war. You see, the Civil War was because in the north, the, the primarily Arab and, listen, the evil ideology of Islam persecuting and violently persecuting the southern Sudanese people who are primarily what we think of as black Africans who are Christian or simply tribalistic. And for decades, this war went on as the, the north tried to, by force, impose their will. And they didn't care how many they had to rape, kill, uh, murder, torture to try to enact their, their will upon the people. Well, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, Wes was invited to go and share, and he was simply going to be there for a couple of weeks, but while he was there, his heart was changed. He began to see the, 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 the dire situation, and he was approached by, in a, in a very unique opportunity, by the Southern Sudanese People Liberation Army to, to train up chaplains. And his mind is like, no, I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, I'm going to go plant churches, I, I come to bring the gospel, you know, and yet somehow this opportunity gets presented to him to train up chaplains. And, and what I want to explain to you is a little bit is about the chaplains. So if perhaps you know a little bit about our ministry, and sometimes people have read things and they think we're all about guts and guns and glory, and it's like, yes, guns are involved, and yes, there are soldiers, but ultimately it's about the gospel, and so he was approached and he prayed and said, yes, would you be willing to train a small group of chaplains? And now when I say chaplains, they're essentially this. They're pastors who are trained. They're trained in the word of God. They're trained actually in children's ministry. They're changed, uh, trained in women's ministry. Literally for a year, they, they get up every morning early. They run four miles up the hill, four miles back. They go through all the drills uh, like a normal soldier goes. But then they spend hours every day being taught by different pastors through the word of God. They spend months in, in discipleship working with kids and then knowing how to, you know, take care of widows and take care of women. And all the while, they get placed in frontline combat units. So they're expected to, and they delight in, in fighting and protecting, but more than that, their heart's passion and cry is to preach the gospel. And they go into all these crazy remote places, and they bring the Jesus film, and they preach the gospel, and they're planting churches. And all because Wes was willing to say yes when there was others who were asked and said, I, I can't see it. But he heard God's voice and said, yes, no. And I want to tell you a little bit about these chaplains. It's going to segue into what we're going to talk about a little bit later in Afghanistan and how God has grown. But these men, I've had the privilege of preaching and, and sharing and praying with many times. And to me, it's one of the greatest highlights of my life is to get to know these men. You know, we read about Joab and Abishai, David's mighty men. You guys, you know, read about them. Um, actually, funny story. A couple years back, one of my friends as a pastor was teaching the chaplains. And he was teaching on the life of David. And he goes to tell the story. And he's like, David was a man after God's own heart. And when David was a young man, and he's like, he's really getting into it. He's like, David killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. How many of you have ever killed a lion? And like eight hands shot up. <laughs> and he's like, Good for you. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't know, you know. And I bring this up because these guys, you know, you see them and they can smile. And that you look at them and they're like, they got bullet scars here and they've got slash marks there. And these guys have seen some gnarly things. And yet I've been on outreach with these guys and they get down and then they're doing VBSs with kids. And it's like, this is amazing. How is this possible? How are they not these hardened, cynical people? Because of the love of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God. I remember one guy in particular, I was, I was getting to teach, and we were doing a pastoral refresher course through Timothy. And this guy named Paul Quo, he had been there several days, and on the third day, I'm praying for him, and I go put my hand on his back. And I, I just put my hand, and I go to pray for Paul and just, you know, encourage him. And man, his, his back was on fire. Like, I don't think I've ever, and it wasn't spiritually speaking, you know? It wasn't like the Holy Spirit hit him. Like, no, it was like legitimate. Like, this guy has a fever like I've never felt before. And and he's smiling and he's worshiping. And I asked one of his friends, what's going on with Paul? Is he all right? He's like, well, he didn't want to say anything. He had, he had walked, you know, two weeks, you know, from his post to be there for the refresher course. And along the way, he contracted malaria, which is very common. 
But not only did he have malaria, he had typhoid at the same time. And he didn't care. He was like, I am here because I want to worship. I want to be encouraged. I need, to, I need this training so I can go back out and do my job. I share that story to talk about the kind of men uh, that are out there on the front lines serving Jesus. Out there, part of far-reaching ministries, part of the chaplaincy program. And so that's really what God really began. And in that place, it, it, because of these men, it really helped form a, a motto, kind of a, a mission, kind of some, what we say about far-reaching is that we run into the places that other people are running out of. And that really came as a result of these chaplains, and it really kind of explains a lot of the ministry that God has blessed us to do in the places that are the most dangerous, in the places that others are fleeing from, where, where compassion needs to be administered, where love needs to be administered, where protection. See, a lot of these guys, they, they know what it means to fight. Why? Not because they love fighting. They, 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 most of them would love just to go farm and live in peace. That, that, they would want to just raise you know, their kids, but they know they've got to protect the innocent. They know what it means to get out there and not only to fight, but then also to preach. They know that it very likely could cost them their life. And in fact, if you ever come to our office, and I'd love it if you did, we're in Marietta, we have a, a wall of honor. And I walk it oftentimes and I look at the wall of honor. You see what the wall of honor is? It's a picture of all the men, these chaplains that have laid down their life in the service of the gospel. 69 men in the last 28 years have paid the ultimate price. He, you may have heard the statement, you know, about soldiers, you know, all give some and some give all. And 69 have given everything and they gladly did it. They knew where they were going. They knew the cost. They had counted the cost and they said yes. What's incredible to me is there's over 600 chaplains that have gone through our program and have been trained. And though we've lost 69, there's always countless men that are trying to get into the program because of the kind of reputation that these men have, because of the, the impact, because they're seeing what, is, what it's doing to their country, how it's changing the country from this war-torn place. What they are doing is making a difference and making an impact. Well, initially, the mission for, for uh, far-reaching was Christ for a continent. We were focused on Africa, but when you're, I hope you know this, when you're faithful with what God has given to you, he expands your territory. You know, when you, when you say yes and you're faithful to that, God opens doors. And what started in Uganda and Sudan and went to Kenya and, and Dave, one of our colleagues, was there as a missionary. And, 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 and then and it's, now we're outside of Africa. We've got many countries in Africa. And along the way, all of a sudden, things started happening. And because of our unique calling, and we realize and recognize, you know, there's different parts of the body of Christ and far-reaching is unique. But because of this uniqueness, all of a sudden we started being contacted with some different organizations and pastors and realizing the need, not just for Africa, but in the Islamic persecuted parts of the world. And so we have a whole division of far-reaching ministry that we call ghost operations. We call it ghost operations, and simply what that means, it's the invisible hand of the church to the, to the Islamic persecuted world. It means through the support of believers like yourselves, we have the opportunity to stand alongside our brothers and sisters in places like Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria, in Pakistan, and all the other stands, and all the places that we see on the news that our heart breaks. There's brothers and sisters that are there. We're going to see a, little bit, a video a little bit later, kind of hearing one of the stories. We call it ghost operations because we have over 600 pastors that we're working with. We have 400 at the moment that we have fully sponsored. We are doing everything we can to sponsor these doctors, these women and men that are literally on the front lines every day risking their lives. And their stories, man, they're some of the most incredible stories you get to hear. I get to hear them. I get to know them. I get to write about them. And they, they inspire me. They move me. Because these are people who, who get this abundant life. It's not the American dream. And let me tell you, I think we all eventually realize the American dream isn't the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. It's not until we're willing to forsake the American dream that we'll ever actually experience the abundant life that God has for us. And listen, I like living here. I like living in Southern California. But yeah, we can clap. I mean, and God, God's a good God. But that's not what we're living for, right? And so the more I, I get to meet these folks and get to represent these men and women, I realize, man, there's something so much more and so we have operations, like I mentioned, in Burma, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. One of the areas that's near and dear to my heart is, like I said, the victims of war. Because along the way, as we minister, you discover, sadly, and we know this to be true, the innocent victims so often in war in all these different countries are, are, are the women who can't fight, are particularly the kids that are left orphaned or who are left suffering. And so we have kids in 
in, just down the road in Mexico. In fact, we were just there this last week, kids that have been rescued out of the cartel, human trafficking, sex trafficking. We're, we're in the process of building houses for these grandmas and moms who, who, who rescued their grandkids and kids out of the cartel because maybe their mom got hooked, up, hooked on drugs and couldn't take care of them and literally sold them in the cartel. We're just talking two hours down, down the road. And we have these sponsorship programs and we're taking care of these kids and, and Sudan and, and Uganda. And when you meet some of these kids and what they've gone through, it's not enough just to simply say Jesus loves you and, and, and to give them a Bible and move on. Oh, we do that, but you have to walk with these kids. They've experienced trauma like we can't imagine. Some don't talk, some shake, and, and, and we're committed to walk with them. One little guy last week, I, I mentioned I was in Mexico last week, and it was so cool. And I, Honestly, as hard as my job can be at sometimes, it's the biggest blessing in the world. We, literally, for a day, we went down to Mexico on a beach in Ensenada, and we took about 12 kids. One, one had their grandma, one had their mom, and we just had a birthday for all these kids. <laughs> we, and, and all that we're doing sometimes is important just to let kids be kids. And so we took them to the beach, and these kids who live in Ensenada, which you've ever been there, it's right by the ocean, had literally never been to the beach before. And so for one day, we got to take them to the beach. We got to have a big barbecue. They, every kid had a present. Uh, you know, if you've ever been there, there's usually some guy like trying to sell you a horse ride. Well, we were, all right, bring the horses over. And we got to just let these kids be kids. And this one kid in particular, Luis, I remember seeing his face. And, and somebody said, he hasn't smiled the whole time. And we saw a smile on his face. And we're walking with him and discipling him. We're giving music lessons for him to kind of help the trauma. I share this, you know, because there's good news. As, as horrible as there's things are, there's, because of the body of Christ, there's people out there. I'm just blessed to be a part of, you know, a, a great family that's doing some amazing things. Why do we run into these places? Because we're convinced that we have the message of hope. There's no ego chip. You know, there's some people that want to run to the most dangerous places because it's a pride thing. Like, look, there's no pride in it. It's because we've met, we've personally experienced and tasted and seen how good God is and how he can change and transform our lives, my life. Why do we run to those places? Why has the church historically, when you read about church history, gone into these places? What, what changed, the, the, you know, the, the early church, when, what, what made Rome adopt Christianity is when it saw Christians going to places where everybody else was leaving willing to risk it all because they were living for a, another city, a, an eternal city, the, the heavenly city. Philippians 2 shows us this path, the path that many of the chaplains discovered. The pastors and medical workers and others in like Afghanistan and Pakistan, they discovered. Those who are working with our kids and Different parts of the world like Indonesia, like Burma, right down the road in, in Mexico. They discovered this as well. It's not the American dream. It's really what Philippians chapter 2 is all talking about. Let me ask you a question. I wonder how many of you want to live a life of significance. How many of you are afraid? Is, that, is this a trick question? I know pastors are always tricking me. Should I raise my hands? It's not a gotcha question, I promise. No, I, that's a good thing. You should want to live a life of significance. You should want to live a life that counts. And there's nothing egotistical or prideful about that. The reason that you want that is because you're made in the image of God. You've been made for a purpose. Real quick, put your, put your two fingers on you know, your pulse right there. You got a pulse, everybody? Then you got a purpose, all right? And as long as you can feel that pulse, there is a purpose for your life. God has a purpose. I remember as a pastor doing a funeral years ago, and, and, and I'm not the first person to note this, but I, I noticed it personally. And I was just looking at a, a headstone there, and it was a, a, the, the birth date and the death date, and there was this, this dash. You know, ultimately, all of our life is about that dash. What is going to be our dash? What's going to be your dash? What are you going to do? Are you going to say yes? What I want to say to you is that the Lord has great things for your dash, but you have to say yes. And the way to greatness is not like we think. It's a paradox. It's certainly not like what the world says. The chaplains tell me that all the time. When I look at their life, they don't tell me with their words. They just tell me with their actions. People like Danny, who you hear about in a little bit in a video, they tell me with their actions, no, what's a life of greatness? It's what Jesus said. His, his disciples, you remember, they were always arguing, I want to be on your left and I want to be on your right. And I think Jesus was like, oy vey. You know, I mean, he's like, you know. But notice something, 
If you read it, he never rebuked them for wanting to be great. He rebuked them for what they thought would make them great. He said, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over. He goes on to say, don't be like them. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. He says, you want to be great? Awesome. Let me tell you how to be great. Because it's completely different in the world. It's about laying down your life. It's not about your status. It's about your service. It's not about your position. It's about the people that you influence. Philippians 2 reminds us of this. This is one of the greatest chapters. We love this. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's like, it's just this declaration of Jesus absolutely exalted, right? And it begins, it begins with Jesus. It says there, Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I mean, he is elevated. He is, he's God. We know this. And yet somehow, at the end of this, he's even higher. That's kind of the point. He starts off in one place, and the, and the, the way it's kind of inferring is like, he's even higher. Well, how did that happen? It happened through obedience. Because he said yes to his father. It happened through humility. It happened because he was willing to be emptied. It happened because he was willing to say yes and to be humbled and become a man. And not just a man, but a servant. And not just a servant. He agreed to die, but not just death. It says what? The death of a cross. But what happened on the other side of that death was life. And life not just for him, but for all of us. Interesting thing about Philippians 2, and some of you Bible students might know this, Philippians 2 is actually written in the original in the form of a song. It was a hymn. It was, it was sung. And the reason I bring that to your attention isn't just to go, oh, that's interesting. I can, now you can win Bible trivia. No, it, the whole idea was in the early church, this was a song that they sung. And why did they sing it? Because not everybody had access to books and scrolls, but you sing something, you sing something important because it helps form you, because you remember it. Why do I bring this to our attention? Because the early church knew what was the key thing to help form us. It was this. What is the most important thing that we understand? It's about who Jesus is, but how does it start? It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's not only telling us about Jesus. It is certainly first and foremost about worshiping King Jesus, but along with us, as we see him lifted up, the path that he took, it's about you and me. It's about being exhorted. You have a choice. Let this mind, let your attitude, let your mindset be exactly the same way. The path to greatness is, is laid there before us. It's the same path. That, that resurrected life that we want, that life that, of significance, where is it found? You first, have to, you first have to die. So many of us pray and, and rightfully say, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Yes, we should pray that. And guess what? God wants to do it. But God also says, you also need to be emptied. Emptied of your pride, emptied of your greed, emptied of your ego, emptied of your comfort, emptied of your security. You got it. There's a lot of times. And listen, sometimes it's a one-time process, like a big wham, but I realize this life really is about being emptied more and more so we can be filled more. And I'm realizing more and more that there's, there's times in our life where a death happens. Why? Because God has something greater on the other side. I told you in the beginning, some of you are in a valley I want to say to you tonight, maybe you're in that place, but God has some, something for you. You can't see it right now. I just want to tell you, there's something there. Hold on. You, you, you feel like you're dying and you don't even know. I just want to say, like, like Peter said, where else can we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. And maybe somebody's here tonight, that's you. Hold on. Don't quit. Don't give in. These chaplains, I love them. The, the, the pastors are like, they're like, no, we're, we're not quitting. And they're such a joy. They, they know what it means to be persecuted. They, they, they understand. Look, they don't have a death wish. There's no glory. Like, it's not like they're like, I want to go get martyred. I mean, listen, they're willing to embrace it. They've accepted it. But that's, they, they don't have a death wish. But they also know no, the, the fellowship of his sufferings, there's nothing greater than to say, yes, Lord. And whatever that looks like, whatever that might mean, Lord, I want to do it. There's a choice. Listen, we, all, we, we never have the choice necessarily of what's going to come at us. I mean, that's just life, right? We wish we did, but the choice we have is how we will respond when these things come. Will we take up the cross? Now, that's a, that's a choice for us. We take up the cross. But I also realized this. I was thinking not that long ago. Jesus made that choice to say yes, but that cross was also put on him by the choices and the actions of other people, right? 
And sometimes we have a cross thrown on us, and it's not our choosing, it's not our making, it's not because of us, but something somebody else did. But we still have an opportunity to say yes. Jesus said yes to the Father. So you might be thinking, well, I don't know, is this from the Lord or not? You, you, You say yes to Jesus, say, Lord, I want to suffer with you, and God will redeem it. The choice to you and to me is how we will respond. The time in which we live is how we will respond. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Any nerds like me? A couple? No, just a couple? Ooh, you, you can admit it's okay. It's a safe place. You know, we're in church. I remember, uh, I love it, but there was a, a, a scene and Sam and Gandalf were talking and I bring it up because it says this. Sam says, I wish it didn't have to happen in my time. And if you know the story, it's this evil and this wickedness and they're like, having to try to save the world. And, and, and he's just this hobbit. He doesn't, he doesn't want to deal with this evil. I wish it wouldn't have happened in my time. Um, Frodo says, actually, Frodo and Gandalf. And Gandalf, the, you know, the wise wizard says, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that is given us. You know, we wish we could decide, but we can't decide. All you can do is decide what will you do with the thing that is brought before you. And I think of the chaplains, they, you know, they, they want peace in southern Sudan and they're striving, but they, they're going to keep serving. I think about some of these pastors in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. They, they want peace just like we want it for, for Orange County and San Diego County. They wish it was something else, but they go, no, that for such a time as this, God, you placed me here. And I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to the call. I'm going to say yes to what you have. For some of you in your life, like Esther, for such a time as this, Esther didn't want it. She fought against it, but eventually, right, she says yes. And I'm sure now she is absolutely ecstatic that she did. There's a plaque in our office, and it's a verse that hit Wes, our founder, years ago very hard, and it's Jeremiah 10, and it says this, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. And that's hard for people, that's hard for Americans if we, we admit it. We want to direct our own steps, right? We, we want to be in control, right? And really, control is an illusion anyway, but uh, we, we want to hold on to that illusion. Some of you are nodding, like, yeah, yeah. But when we come to that place, and, and actually, it's a very freeing place. And we say, Lord, my life's not my own, it's yours. You bought me. I've been saved by grace. That means, really, Lord, there's nothing you can't ask of me, and I'm okay with that. Wherever, whenever, however, whatever, my answer in advance, Lord, is yes. My answer is going to be yes. Let this mind be in you. We're going to show a video right now in just a second. Um, And it's a video of a guy named Danny. That's not his real name. Um, But Danny, he works in a country called Syria. And over the last few years, we saw the the atrocities in Syria committed by ISIS and by uh, the evil president. Just a horrible, horrible situation. And a lot of people were fleeing, but there's a group of believers, and Danny is going to talk about that, that said, you know what? We're going to stay. And I'll let Danny share his story, and I'll come back and fill in the gaps. But not only are you going to hear his story, you're going to see some of the chaplains as well, some of the men that I talked about that are on that wall of honor. We have an opportunity to remember them and honor these men. When the war started, many problems happened, and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And we know some, someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, at that time, I speak to the leaders, and uh, we met together, and I said, as in Acts book, the believers, when they have the persecuted, most of them they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lose our life one day. You know, when I left the room and after time, I turned back to see the decision of the leaders. I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave. We will continue to serve God here in this area. And we will continue the ministry. If we are die, 
we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This, this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take it directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian. They put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, with his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they asked the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between this uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, Sometimes many people ask me why, why you continue in the ministry in Syria, especially in this time in the war. The important things for, uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to, uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. The important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. It don't matter 
mind being which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, I look at these guys, some of these guys are people, some men that I've, I know, I've prayed with, I, I shared, I see their faces and I remember sitting around after the message and praying with some of these guys, you know, and the, these are our brothers and sisters, you know, we, the Bible says we suffer with those who suffer, we rejoice with those who rejoice, the greater the death, the greater the resurrection, I want to move now in just a little bit as we, our final time together and just talk a little bit about Afghanistan because I know it's on our minds, it's hard, it's on the news. Um, when this whole tragedy hit, we were getting word um, a little bit ahead of time before it actually hit the major news because of our pastors and workers. They knew the Taliban was advancing, but no one could have expected the fall of a country in 10 or 11 days as fast and as rapid as it was. It, was, it caught everybody off guard. But in the middle of all that, we'll see, and I'll share, there's some great God stories. But what I can say to you, as you can imagine, we realized right away, our workers let us know, it was the absolute worst case scenario. We know about the Taliban. We know what the, they're capable of, the kind of evil that they're capable of. And I, some of the stories and videos that I've seen and heard, some of the ones I just couldn't share in mixed company. But the kind of things that they were doing, and immediately we knew particularly, you know, the believers above all were the most vulnerable. And I'll never forget the morning that all this happened. And the next day, Wes came in, our president, and you could tell he hadn't slept all night. And he said, we got to do whatever it takes to get these men and women out. You see, we watched the news and we watched some of those planes leave. And the Americans had a list and they were a list of what they called their allies, those who helped translate, those who helped at the compound bases. And a lot of those people, as you know, they got left behind. But there's another list that uh, only heaven has. It wasn't on an American list or a Canadian list or any other list. It's believers. And we know that they're going to experience the most real and severe persecution. And so West immediately said, we've got to get them out because we know the, the very threat of beheadings, the very threat of you know, rape and being sold into slavery isn't just, oh, that could happen. Like, no, it's a definite possibility. It's a definite reality for those who would be caught and those who are on the, on the Taliban's list. And so we said immediately, we've got to do whatever it takes. And it wasn't in our budget. It wasn't on our radar. But, okay, Lord, you're going to have to do something. And because of God's grace and because of God's, the connections that we have as a, as a ministry within, I think less than like 10 days, all of a sudden I remember sitting in a meeting myself. Now I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, most of my life. I was a missionary. But all of a sudden, I found myself in a room with some really amazing men, patriots. 
in a room full of Navy SEALs, Force Recon, um, some guys that worked at the agency and others, and immediately a plan was formed. How can we go in and get there? And they knew that the, you know, we tried everything we could, and we got some people out through the airport. We saw those pictures and through the Kabul airport. Sadly, our hearts were broken as I listened to stories by some of these agency guys who did everything they could because they're believers to get people they knew out. One story was tragic. I can think of the pictures and his horrible. We, we saw those pictures of Marines. Well, he was on the phone with one of his friends who was Afghan, you know, Afghani and trying to get him out. He said, no, just stay there. And they've been waiting four days without food or water trying to get out. He says on the phone, just stay there, just stay there. And he says, put on some sunglasses because Afghanis don't wear sunglasses. And so all of a sudden the Marine says, I see you in the... I see you, okay. And he's on the phone. And then all of a sudden the phone goes silent. And that's when the two suicide bombers went off. And as this agency guy is telling the story, and these are guys that I thought would be hardened, would be cynical, who had been in the country and seen a lot of things. I watched this man start break down and cry as he thought about this. He's like, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get them out. And so very quickly a plan was formed and we had two teams go to some place to go play golf somewhere in the world. I'll just say that. Um, to do whatever we could to try to rescue those women and children and some of the men that serve over there. What was really incredible is when it first started happening, and we contacted all of our pastors. We directly have 22 pastors and workers that we, that we sponsor and support. And we said, guys, you've you got to get out. And it's not just them, but they also represent about, about 280 people with their, with their spouses and the kids. They have large families. And at first, none of them were willing to go, no, no, we're called, we're called. And, and we had to say, listen, it's not just about you. We understand you're willing to die, but you have a wife. If you get captured, you know what they'll do to your wife. If you get captured, you know what they'll do to your kids. And they began to realize, okay. And we tried to, you know, share, like, listen, let's play the long game here. Meaning, yes, we, if you're going to be martyred, fine. But let's do everything we can to try to get you out. And through prayer and encouragement, they, they were willing, okay, yes. We, you know, there are some that are still committed to staying, but others are, okay, we're going to try to find different ways to get in and out. And so they went to go find what was called rat lines, which is a military term for ways to get in and out of the country. And so... So Wes, along with several others, went golfing somewhere in the world, you know, wink, wink. Um, and I just wanted to say to you, miraculous happened. There was a great plan. I remember sitting in there that day, listening to stories, listening to these men and seeing different maps and different things like that and just praying and going, okay, it seems really solid, but also knowing it's going to take a miracle, you know, you know, going to a place and trying to figure this whole thing out. And as they took a step of faith, uh, what they thought they were going to do was part of it. You know, how they thought they were going to do what they were going to do. And I can't go into all the details. But then one miracle after another. And at this point, I can say 153 of your brothers and sisters are safe out of Afghanistan now. Yeah. Praise the Lord. We have hundreds more that we are committed. Just our organization, I said about 300. But because of our unique role, there's a lot of other ministries out there that have a lot more. Uh, you know, they're, they're on the news right now. And the guys that we're working with in the, in the military and the agency, they're, they're saying, you guys are doing it right. Your name's not out there. You're getting a, and you guys are getting way more done than everybody else. And in fact, some of these other ministries have contacted us, ministries you might recognize, like, like you know, Samaritan's Purse or Jesus Film or YWAM, awesome ministries that we all partner with together. We're working, you know, with them to get their men and women out. And so ultimately, we think there's, we know about, at this point, we've identified 3,000 that we're actively working to get out. Now, you can be praying for, for that, the finances. Obviously, it was not on our radar. And so, okay, Lord, you're going to have to bring the money in for this. It's, it's, no, it is nowhere in our scope of realm, and yet I've seen God start to provide. We've got to pray for, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I'll just say pray for our State Department because they have been probably our biggest enemies in all of this, and I'm not going to just simply state that, and so that countries would open up because we know we need to get them out, but we also need to place them in safe countries either close by or somewhere else uh, for the time being until ultimately the desire is, and every one of them is, to get back. And this last week, I was writing up some dossiers on every one of the families that got out or the individuals, and, and I was just amazed. I was in tears just writing some of their stories. And every story matters because they, they represent a life. It's not just a story, but that story is an individual that matters to God and it matters to us. And I think about Dr. G, who's been there for years with a clinic taking care of, of, of women and children. And if you know anything about Afghan culture, the women and children, particularly women, I mean, they, they, it's a, it is not an existence that any of, any of you women would ever want. You know? And this guy faithfully serving. And at every opportunity to go practice medicine somewhere else and make a lot more money, he's like, no, I'm going to stay here. A guy by the name, I'll call him Benedict. <laughs> That's not his real name. 
Benedict means blessing. So I, had to, I have to write the dossiers and I have to come up with some names. You know, once I read their stories, I'm like, this guy's a blessing. He got saved in the 90s when Taliban was ruling at that time. And when he was first saved, he loved Jesus. He was scared out of his mind and he was obedient. And so he kept witnessing, but he'd go at night and he'd climb on walls because he didn't, he didn't want to leave footprints behind, like legitimately. But he's doing everything he can to go witness. He leads his family to the Lord. Somewhere along the way, somebody talked to him about the Holy Spirit and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and just the power of God. And his life was forever changed in that moment. And he was never afraid again. And, and in so many stories he was sharing of supernatural, God just showing up and doing incredible things. And his family is one of the key families in all of Afghanistan. They're connected to 5,000 believers, an underground network of believers. I think of Timothy, a guy that we, got, we came across recently because of Wes and the team. Like I said, Miraculous got a phone call. It wasn't one of our guys, but YWAM reached out and said, we've got a young man, 22. His name's, I'm saying it's Timothy. That's not his name. But he's on the Taliban's list. They're coming after him. We made a couple of phone calls to some key people that are believers and also just people in the patriotic community. I'll just say that. And we were able to get the guy out. Two hours later, Taliban was at his door. And if we wouldn't have gotten him out, Timothy wouldn't be with us today. Timothy's 22. He's in Afghanistan because he loves the Lord. He, he uh, was a CrossFit instructor. That's what he did in Kabul. He, he, he taught CrossFit, but that was really his way uh, of preaching the gospel. So some of you CrossFitters out there, you know, I don't know. That, that, there's a, just to think about that, I was like, that's just crazy. Why would anybody do CrossFit? What's the matter with that guy? No, it's just like... <laughs> But there in, in Kabul, doing CrossFit, that's his cover to go preach and disciple. And he's alive today because of the actions of some very heroic people. Again, we run into places others are running from. Again, not for the glory. Jesus gets all the glories because we know that we know that we know what we have, the gospel matters. It, it matters for all of eternity. It has the power to change a life, to change a family, to change a nation. There's a couple of, on there, I want to show a couple of pictures. And I just want to give you this story because when Wes was over there, they had to go to the mountains and they, they, they had the helicopter and they were at 11,000, 14,000 feet, some crazy rugged terrain. He did amazing. Wes is 64 and didn't complain and was just, you know, I say that as our leader, just like, man, amazing. But there's this tough side, but there's also this tender side. And there's a picture of, of, of a girl, there's a family that they met in a neighboring country while they were there. And this family was one in particular. And when I hear about this family, and one of my colleagues has this on his phone, and he reminds him every day. You see the girl in the front, she's about nine in this picture, and about a year and a half ago, you see what happened tragically. Her dad was murdered. He was murdered by his uncle, but it was worse than that. You know, unfortunately, in, in this ministry, I come across videos and pictures of some really, really horrible things, things that you're like, why did I see this? I don't want to see that. Her father was brutally killed in a way I've never seen before by his own brother or uncle who worked for the Taliban, an absolute evil man. And he murdered him. But not just that, before he murdered him, the, the little girl to the, my left, at the time she was five, he rapes the little girl and then rapes the mom and then ends up killing his dad. I bring that to you not to shock you. It's not just for shock's sake. It's, there's a point in all this. Because as, as, this, as this family was there with Wes and our team, she's, she's traumatized. She doesn't know what to do. She's outside of Afghanistan at the moment, and she's being threatened. If she doesn't go back, her extended family will be killed. And so Wes and the team says, no, your responsibility is to these kids. And it was obvious the trauma in this little girl. I think there's another picture. As the thought of having to go back to Afghanistan hits her, she starts shaking and crying, and our team starts to minister to her. They hadn't had a change of clothes in a couple of months. They hadn't really been. So they were able to take them to a restaurant, love on them. Um, I think there's another picture down. Let's see what's the next one here. You can keep going. Yeah, here we go. There's Wes if you haven't met him. And so they were able to take them, buy them clothes. There's another picture of them eating ice cream. And it's the first time that she's smiled in a couple of years, her mom said. And I, I bring this up to you not just to, like, move your heart, but, yeah, to move your heart. <laughs> that ultimately moves your will. Because when we hear these stories, sometimes they seem far off and they seem removed, but these are real people. I, I, I look at this and I think, man, I've got a daughter. What if that was my kid? What if that was my son? I'm blessed to be born here in America. Why? I don't know, but I thank God every day. But I know with that blessing comes a responsibility. You can move on from the pictures. And, and that family represents many, many more. I know Wes feels called to personally take care of that girl for the rest of her life and he's going to make sure some way somehow she is always financially supported we we fed them we've housed that family we're walking with that family along with many many more i could tell you story after story but the whole point of these stories again tonight is to help connect you with their stories 
But like I said, tonight there's a story that God is writing in your life, and maybe it's really, really good right now, or maybe you're in that valley. I want to say to you, in the midst of pain and tragedy, God shows up. Romans 8.28 is still true. There, there are believers that I actually envy. Like, I don't envy like they're like, it's like I don't, I don't want to live like that. It's like, hey, I'll be honest, I'm not, like, I'm not. But what I envy is the freedom and the liberty they have, the joy that they have. They're like dead men walking. They, they do not love their lives, like the Bible says, even unto death. They're like, no, it's not that they have a death wish, but they're like, no, like to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. They are, they are experiencing that resurrected, that exalted life, the other side, you know, of Philippians 2 that we read about. Something my mom taught me years ago. My mom's a, and like my grandma before her, they are intercessors. And my mom said something I never forgot. She says, the devil always shows you what's important by what he attacks. The devil always shows, you want to know what's important? What is the devil going after? You can, you can perhaps think of your own life, your, your marriage, your kids, your job. For me, I think of the widows and orphans. We know this pure and undefiled religion is this, is to take care of widows and orphans. What's near and dear to the heart of God? Widows and orphans. So what does Satan hate? He hates widows and orphans. They're a threat. They're, you know, and so he targets them. They're important. They're important to God. They should be important to us. And, and you see a lot of these different areas. Say, ah, the devil will come after what's the biggest threat, what's the most important thing. So what's the takeaway for you tonight? I would say, number one, do you have the same mind, the, the mind of Christ? Because that's what Philippians 2 is all about. The church, early church sang that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was equal with God, and yet he humbled himself. You know, there's a lot of people who, who do not have equality with God, and yet they think they do. You know, it's kind of the opposite, you know. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What's, what's your mindset? Do you have the way of Jesus? Do you have your own mind? Do you have the world's mind? Or do you have... Do you have the mind of Jesus? Life is always found on the other side of death. And I would say this, what I've seen in other people's lives, that I've seen in my life, sometimes those things that God brings us through, the greater the death, the greater the resurrection. Sometimes the, you know, the greater the difficulty when you hang on, the greater the blessing, the greater the elevation, the greater the vindication, the greater, that God, the, greater the thing God wants to do. And tonight for us as believers, you know, as I represent this ministry, it's one of my greatest responsibilities and privileges, you know, to share with you, to help connect these stories with you that you might be a part, not only for your own life to say, yes, Lord, I'm all in God, however, wherever, whenever, whatever, my answer in advance is yes, but Lord, I want to be a part of something bigger. I want to be part of the body of Christ at large. What can you do? Number one is pray. We always say that. And that's not just cliche. That is dead serious. You can pray. Pray for our chaplains. Pray for our underground workers. Pray for our widows and orphans. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. I want to tell you a true story. In fact, it's about Ed, and I hope I get the story right. Ed's here. Uh, Ed, just, you know, there's Ed right there. Love Ed. I love that guy. He makes me laugh. He's awesome. He loves Jesus. He's a faithful brother. But a few years back, he was telling me the story, and he was on the road, I think, from Juba to Nimali, if I remember the story correct. Late at night, and he was with another chaplain, a senior chaplain named James. And on the road, all of a sudden, there was a group of men out in front with guns. It was obviously that these were Muslim men, and this was a very dangerous situation. And James, the chaplain, who was normally a bit jovial, instantly got dead serious. And Ed said, something's not right about this. They were in some serious trouble. It's a road that oftentimes there's, there's, there's burglars, there's muggers, there's people that get killed all the time on this road. And all of a sudden, there was just the two of them, and they're in the car, and they're outmanned and outgunned, and they really had nowhere to go. Ed's in the car. James gets out. He could obviously that they're arguing. Ed says something to James, and basically James looked over to Ed, and Ed never says this. I mean, Ed's a senior and says, shut up, Ed, you know, and that's when Ed knew, like, this is serious. And as this is going on, Ed's sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this out of the bush, literally, this humongous African man comes up, he says, the biggest guy, and all of a sudden starts saying something to this group of 20 men, and he just starts, you know, and Ed's in the car. He doesn't know what's going on. Next thing you know, James gets back in the car, and the guy, he's like, looks at these, this group of like 20 angry Islamic men, just, and they wave him through. But he's like, they had this kind of perplexed look on their face. And all of a sudden, they drove away. When they looked back, the guy was gone. And I think they even checked it out, like, hey, did anybody know? Where's this big guy? And there's like, nobody's like, we've never heard of this big guy. Who are you talking about? I am absolutely 100% convinced it was an angel. I am 100% convinced that somebody was praying somewhere. I could tell you stories of some of the people who I was writing their dossiers for, how they got out of Afghanistan. They say over and over, there was an angel here, an angel there. I say that because that's the God that we serve. 
I say that pray because it matters. It changes things. Not every, I mean, we saw the 69, you know, of, of our brothers who did pay the ultimate price. I always think, man, that's so tragic. I think, how many more would there be if people weren't praying? The second thing, though, is give. And yes, we do have these programs. We do, you know, we're, we are training chaplains. We are sponsoring as the, as the body of Christ, our pastors and workers, you know, in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. I don't have to tell you, you know, they're, they're trying to get by on a couple of dollars a day that what your sponsorship of $75 a month can mean for them to carry out their ministry to make disciples, to train a chaplain, to change not just a village, but to change a nation. I, I know this. I used to be a missionary, and I sponsor missionaries. I have friends that are missionaries, and, I, and I, I pray for those. You know, I pray as much as I can, but the ones that I actually give to, I pray for on a regular basis. Why do I say that? Because that's how we're wired. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And if you guys are into stocks, right, if you've got a stock like an Apple stock, every morning you're like, Check an Apple stock, because that's where your treasure is, your heart is there also, right? I'm not, some of you are like feeling really guilty right now. No, it, but I know this, the missionaries, and I sponsor, listen, all of us, every one of us on staff, this isn't just something that we do for others. Like, no, we're, I, there's pastors and chaplains that I sponsor, that I pray for as I give. Because I know that where, I, where my money's at, I know my heart is also. And so we have the opportunity, and I, and I say that as the opportunity. The Apostle Paul, in, in, when you read the New Testament, he went around to the Gentile churches, and he collected an offering, and he brought it to the persecuted church in Jerusalem. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and he didn't, he didn't guilt them, but he said, here's your opportunity to practice generosity. And so you have the opportunity, and I, you know, it's funny, when people get weird about money, I don't get weird about money, I just give the opportunity, and ultimately, I'm never going to ask you or tell you give money, but I will say to you, ask Jesus what he wants you to give. That I will unashamedly say, you know, ask Jesus and what he would want you to give. What we suggest is to our, to our underground pastors and our ghost operations, $75 a month. To our chaplains, same thing, $75 a month. And this helps feed, clothe, materials so they can continue the work of the ministry. I don't have one of the dossiers, but one of the things that we also do, I mentioned widows. Is, in fact, one of the reasons that uh, um, Wes and Edward are on their way to Russia as we speak is because we sponsor a whole bunch of very, very poor widows in Russia. And so we have a Potatoes for Grandma program, and that we ask is $50 a month. And you can find those. Uh, I think we have a table here and there. I want to say a couple of things about that too. Number one, this is above and beyond your tithe. Your tithe always belongs to the storehouse, meaning it comes to your local church first. I mentioned earlier, I started, God's doing a great work here, and you should be investing here. But this is something above and beyond to whom much is given, much is required. And if God has spoken to you tonight, I would invite you to say, hey, be a part of something great. You know, we, we invest in our Robinhood accounts and here and there, which is all great. But here's an opportunity to invest in your eternal Robinhood account that will pay dividends forever. You see, this is what I know. And I'm not going to get into politics, you know. God's actually a bit of a capitalist, you know. <laughs> somebody, somebody. And why do I say that? Is because what we do on earth, the Bible talks about there's rewards in heaven. Like, that's how it works, you know? Yes, salvation, you could say salvation is a bit socialistic. You know, it's all because of Jesus. I get, you know, everything that, you know, by, by grace it comes to me. But the rewards, the crowns, what we do for all of eternity is based on what we do with our time, talent, and treasure here on earth. Listen, guys, I'll finish with this. There are good things in this world, and I went not that long. The hard things of this world and the best things of this world, God's love, glory, holiness, and beauty. The Bible's teaching is that the road to the best things is not through the good things, but usually it's through the hard things, as Jesus shows us in Philippians 2. Father, I thank you so much that, Lord, you, you, you caught our attention tonight. I so believe, Holy Spirit, for some you brought comfort in the midst of a lot of pain and hopelessness. There's some stories tonight that know, God, you are working. It gives us hope for those out there, but also gives us hope in our own life. And I also pray, Holy Spirit, you would challenge us. Lord, we need to be challenged, God, because we ultimately want to be changed. And so, Father, we thank you tonight. We love you. We honor you. Lord, I pray for every single one of us here tonight. Lord, we would have that mindset. Let this mind be in you. Jesus, you said yes to the Father no matter what. And so, Lord, may our answer always be in advance, yes to you, God, no matter what it is you ask us to do, because ultimately we know it will lead to good. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, I also just want to say this. If you want to just make an offering to Far Reaching Ministries...
You can just put, uh, hold on, Chuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sir. Uh, you can just put far-reaching on the memo portion of the check, drop it in the offering box, and we will get it to far-reaching ministry. Now, uh, regarding these things in Afghanistan, I heard over and over yeah. how God just connected people. Yeah. And then even uh, there was a huge donation just given yeah. right away for, for that. Yeah. So I didn't go into the full amounts, but essentially we know over the next two to three years, it's probably going to be like upwards of $10 million because it's not just about the rescue and um, it's that, but it's also, you know, the, over the next couple of years, you can't just pull people out and say, all right, good luck. You have a, you know, be warm, be filled. We want to help, you know, settle them, you know, take care of them. Uh, we knew that the initial phase, like I said, was going to be at least, I mean, the, phase 1A was going to be like half a million dollars. We're like, how? This wasn't in our budget. I mean, we have budgets. We raised funds for these programs. This was out of the, the blue. You, you see, golf clubs yeah. for the players yes. are expensive. Yes. Golf They're, carts are very pricey, too, especially ones that hover and yes. land and take off. Yeah. And then the players need a clubhouse exactly. to rest in. Exactly. So... Uh, so that this is a, a huge endeavor. Yeah. In fact, more than that, one of the problems that people don't often think about with refugees is one thing to leave a country, yeah. but you have no work, no home, you, you don't belong. And to find a place where they can settle, and, and you have people that are actually trotting the globe. Yeah. So two things I want to say. One thing was amazing. Wes just took a step of faith. We didn't have it. And we're like, okay, Lord, we'll put on the credit card because these are lives, you know, I don't have time around. They're like Schindler's List. Have you ever seen It's like, we're going to save lives. We don't care. And all of a sudden, one of our donors who's been a faithful partner wrote a check out of the blue for 400 grand. We're like, okay, God, you're in this. And I could tell you stories after that, you know. And, it, and it, it obviously amounts to kind of grab your attention. But just a, and, and I could tell you when I, I was on the phone last week, a bunch of kids had got together and, and they, they brought, somehow these kids raised a thousand bucks. 